Okay, um, before we begin, just a little reminder that the new volume of The Penguin is now available on Kickstarter. Regular co-host, who you all know, Al Henderson's brilliant gag strips have been collected into a new volume called What Next? Um, we talked about it last time in the last episode. Funny little stories about funny little penguins. Get on board this crowdfunding phenomenon uh, as soon as you can. So get, go back that. It's on Kickstarter now. Um, but back to normal business. Well, welcome back to Never Iron Anything, the Comics Review Podcast, episode 126. This week, I couldn't be happier with my two returning co-hosts, both artists with a fluidity of line and an eye to style, drama and personality. And if you have witnessed any of our recent drink and draws, you'll know that sparks may fly. So let's say hello to Cliff Cucumber and Ian Ashcroft. Hi, guys. Oh, you are such a tease, Tony. Honestly. <laughs> such a... Are you trying to seduce me, Mr. Esmond? <laughs> hello. Nice <laughs> <time>. <laughs> He's not taking it from you. He's not buying it. He's not. <laughs> he hasn't had an accident. Right. <laughs> How have you been? Let's start with you, Ian. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, um, Tony. It's nice to be back on the podcast. It's good to have and, you back, uh, my friend. Last time it was a record-breaking episode with you on. That's our biggest numbers so far. And we even got mentioned in a book, didn't we? Yeah, maybe that'll it, happen again. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, no, it won't. Not with me. <laughs> you both designed to confuse me, because... Ian's using his wife's account, so he's got his wife's name. And uh, Cliff has renamed himself Keith on the screen. Oh, no, because... wait, wait. I didn't rename myself Keith. I accidentally this called is... you Keith. I don't even know yeah. how that happened when we were away at Heroes. You called me Keith and you never stopped. And frankly, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. How you been, uh, Cliff? Uh, you know, all right. A little bit of lower back pain. Um, yeah. knees have been bothering me a bit. Um, you know sort of the relationship with my wife is dead and passionless um but otherwise yeah great <laughs> trophy wife as i call it trophy the, wife yeah <laughs> the uh, rub deep heat all over your body so next to the radiator if it worked Thank for richard you. e grant i think it'll work for you i'll drink them i'll drink the uh the, the uh what was it lighter fluid That's it. <laughs> like like the wankers on the site <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a carrot and it's from camberwell Ah, <laughs> uh, it's a little early for the Widnell and I reference. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, thank you guys for joining me. Um, this week, I've challenged you to a subject. It's something that one of you've chosen, although it is one that one of you was um, described as similar to on a, a recent 11 o'clock comics podcast. It's somebody I think I can see in both your work, whether it be an influence or not, it's certainly in the same ballpark. And this week we're mm. going to be talking about the brilliant Val Mayerick, who I'm a sort of kind of lifelong fan of. Um, but we'll be talking about his work. We'll be picking over perhaps if it's changed or not over the years, what our favourite ones are, etc. And also we've each chosen um, a series or a book or a short story that we're going to talk about um, in relation to him. Um, so well, let's get going on that one. So, to start with, let's start with you, um, Ian. Who is? How did you become exposed to him? Was it was it through this podcast, or had you heard of him beforehand? No, it was through the podcast, Tony. I, I've right. never heard of him before, really. And um, you know, I feel a bit out, like a fish out water here because uh, maybe out of my depth because I don't I don't think I have the same knowledge as you two. So um, well, that's fine. You, you're the expert in art, though, my friend, compared oh, to me. Thank yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so it was the first time I'd had a look at his work and I did what 
you know, I did a Google search of him, had a look at his work, and it is amazing the stuff that I saw. It was like painted, painted um, artwork to start off with, and then yeah. off the back of that, I, I thought, well, what books am I going to talk about? So I initially looked at um, Savage Sword of Conan, and there was three issues that I've, I've sort of picked up off that. Okay. Um, and I was looking through them. I was really enjoying them, but off off um, your other podcast. You talked about that of blood and dust. Yes, and I'd seen that, and um, I looked through that, and I, I bought that pretty much straight away, and I, I really, really enjoyed that. Oh, brilliant! Um, so we're gonna we're each gonna take a go at talking about one of our favourites. Yeah. I'm, I'm over the moon you bought that man because I I found that quite revelatory that book. Um, yeah, there's, there's really a lot of, there's a lot going on in that, and he can draw a fucking horse as well. Let's face it, can he? You know. Oh yeah, I'll talk about that later. But I mean, he's yeah, he is. But the uh, you know the the Conan stuff as well is is really, yeah. it's really amazing. It's strange as well though, because in the three issues and they're all produced in like a year of each other. Okay, he's literally bringing three different styles to each. each oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. That's something definitely, definitely we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, what about you, Cliff? Where was your first expression? Because. Um, what happened was, um, for those that haven't heard the eleven o'clock comics, when we, when I, we Cliff and I did the um, uh, Tony Osmond is a movie star, mm-hmm. Vince mm-hmm. Bond said that he your work dis- reminded him of Val Merrick. and I remember telling yeah, you you were he, quite excited, weren't you? He did. That was kind of exciting. So um, that was not my first exposure to Val Merrick, Tony. Okay. I think actually you had mentioned the similarities way back when okay. we were even doing. Tony Osmond, um, no relation. And um, <laughs> you, you, I think it was one of the sort of the people you brought up as being sort of similar in line and tone uh, to my style of art, which, um, and I was like, oh, that's very nice of you to compare me to somebody I've never heard of. So I <laughs> actually started looking up his work based on on that in the past. That was a couple of years back now. Yeah, it um, was. And, and, you know, I started looking up some of his stuff and, um, was really impressed by kind of you know the the, the overall quality um, of of his work because it's you know it's a bit sporadic really and I'm sure we'll get yeah. into that sort of background but um, you know his his ink work is incredibly impressive especially when he inks his own stuff and mm. uh, yeah so that was kind of like uh, it's kind of revelatory to me because it's always I think as an artist you always wonder you know you get to a certain level where you're not mimicking other people and you're really using your own style and you're always curious about well what what does my style look like you know what what are the core elements that maybe i'm bringing to it so yeah i was i was very flattered uh, and even more flattered you know um that the 11 o'clock comics boys would even say anything about it which was um really very nice of them yeah, that was it. Was it was nice? That was. Um, I think that was the episode I was on. He said that. I think because I think I said, "Oh, that's cool. I like Val Merrick. Um uh, Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, for for me, my first exposure to him, and it's hard to remember because we're. I mean, I'm I'm the mm. oldest in the room, but we're we you know we're not young men. And um, is was Cars R seventeen. So that was my one. And mm. I remember. I remember this. It's got flying sharks in and zebra men and you know this sort of thing. And I remember seeing it and. I've tried to sort of encapsulate what I think about him and this will probably jump out and something we'll talk about as we go along as well. But to me, there's almost an innate strangeness to his art. Something, whether it be, because he does all kinds of stuff. So we've had contemporary, Wild West is something we see quite a lot of, outer space. It's so, 
um, there's an extra dimension to it that gives it gives it a strangeness for me. That there's comes, a degree, you know, degree of force to it. I think he's a very impactful artist. He's okay. Very, you know, I think he doesn't spare the lines and he gets straight into the that sort of. You know, he's like a good jobbing artist is. He just gets lines on the page, but he he sort of makes those lines as impactful as possible. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Mm. Um, and we've certainly seen um, a change in his style over the years. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna each gonna describe a book as we go on that almost mm. emphasizes a number of those different sort of stylistic styles, the approaches that he uses in it. Um, before we do that, just just have a little potted history of Al. So he was born in 1950 in Youngstown, Ohio. After graduating from high school, he met with an Ohio-based artist called Dan Atkins, and it turns out he he was doing an art class at the time. And there was an, he describes an old lady who was probably just 30 because he was so young, who said, "Oh, have you heard of Dan Atkins?" And he describes Dan Atkins as slightly eccentric. So he started working as his assistant, also working for his assistant. Some of them we sort of saw quite a lot of a few weekends ago. Um, Cliff was P. Craig Russell, and they both yeah. worked as assistants for Atkins at the time. Yeah, um, I was interested. That was an interesting sort of coincidence. He's, he's had, yeah, he's had some interesting artistic coincidences throughout his career. But yeah, that's a good early one. Yeah, it's strange. His yeah. first published work was on um, pencils over Atkins layouts in Brack the Barbarian um, that came in Chamber of Thills number two, 1973. No, sorry, that was the first work he did. His actual first published work was um, he, alongside uh, along, uh, alongside P. Greg Russell at the time, he inked over the top of Barry, Smith, Barry Smith's, as he was then, now Barry Windsor Smith's pencils on Conan the Barbarian. He's a huge Conan fan and, is, mm. and was desperate to draw him for a long time. Um, he was told, no, um, Barry is on fire on Conan, you can have another Barbarian. So they gave him one of Lynn Carter's, which was a bloke humorously called Thongor, um, I know it's something you shout quite a lot in the bedroom. Um, Which who, me or Ian? Well, either will do, really. You know, well, cheap, or me when I'm gag. with Ian. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, in Creatures on the Loose, March 1973. Um, he then became the regularist on Man Thing with Steve Gerber. Now he had a long-standing relationship with Steve Gerber and or Gerber. Is, what do we say, Gerber? I say Gerber. Is that right? Gerber. Uh, Gerber. I think. Gerber. Gerber. Yeah. And. Um, then famously, and if you look at him on YouTube, it always seems to be the man who created um, Howard the Duck. Um, mm -hmm. And an interesting one, he basically drew Howard the Duck as a sort of instinctual aside. He had to have all these different creatures and animals and men and women and wizards and stuff coming out of a portal. Uh, and Howard the Duck was one of them, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. He said it was a pure accident, one of those roll of the dice things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just drew it straight on the page. He was saying so. That was just one of the just hugely lucky sort of instinctual drawing. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, we would talk a little bit about Howard the Duck in this, but I do feel like Howard the Duck is a whole episode. The mm. legal shenanigans that went on, and the unhappiness and happiness, and movies and recreations of it. I think is is an interesting subject. But he 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 didn't actually get to draw the ongoing Howard the Duck, but he did put his artistic stamp on a number of other series, including the Frankenstein comic with um, one of probably my favorite comics writer, Doug Munch. And then he went on to do some excellent work in Kaza, which is the one I've just mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I know you draw, drew our attention to this, didn't you Cliff? Where he, he then he's always had his foot in acting. I think he's a, a restless oh, beast, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think he, uh, yeah, he's definitely uh at the time, I, I just get the sense, like, back when he was former, he just fell into art and that just sort of became his main career. 
yeah. but like yeah. he sort of was passionate about acting um and he's he's been in a couple of movies and perhaps the best well known and i put well known in quotes um is <laughs> he was in the demon lover in 1977 yeah um playing a character called damien he starred alongside uh leather-faced actor gunnar hansen who uh delivered possibly one of the pers- worst acting portrayals of his entire life um <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, looking like an 80s roadie uh, <laughs> who's into Satanism. Um, I, and I think, you know, I think the reason he was in it was because he actually painted the poster for it. Oh, really? Um, okay. And if you've, yeah, so if you've seen the Demon Lover poster, it's about a million times better than the movie. I mean, the movie's worth a watch just because it's pure sort of late 70s schlock. Um, you know, it's kind of entertaining yeah. just from the perspective of, you keep expecting it to go into like a, a 70s style porno, but it never quite gets there. You know what I mean? Always teasing us, aren't they? Always teasing Same us. quality, same quality of filming and acting. Yeah. But, uh, yep. Yep. He, yeah, he, he did, did that. flirt with acting. Yep. And then he, um, he moved to New York and he ended up acting off Broadway. Um, and that was mm-hmm. at that point he started working with Neil Adams at continuity studios. Um, and he absolutely adored going into the offices. I've heard him saying interviews, because he'd go in there and there would be all manner of artists from the time would would be sitting around there. So I thought that might be a good way to say, maybe start with you in, is there, are there any other artists you see in his style um, from, you know, his early work maybe? Is there anyone? Well, when I was looking at um, the Savage Sword of Conan stuff, yeah. um, there was one where it was really loose lines and the faces were a bit more um, exaggerated and, and sort of, cartoon like and i actually saw a little bit of ian gibson in his work oh, which wow. i thought was that's cool. interesting yeah. um so which one was that one called hang on um yeah i think it was called the the darksome demon of rabbit Than. okay and that's right. in sort of conan um and i also i don't know he just every now and again i thought he wouldn't be out of place in a 2000 ad um yeah. magazine something like that or Prague because like you said, he's turned his hand to so many different things, hasn't he? And yeah. um, I found it difficult to sort of like pinpoint exactly when things were happening in his career as well, because I was looking at these and I, I, I felt like out of the three issues, there was one that was like significantly stronger than the others in terms of artwork. And I thought, oh, that will be one of the later ones. Yeah. And then when I looked at the dates, that one was actually like 82 and the ones that came after it were 83 and getting into 84. So it was like he came in, made an amazing first impression, or at least his artwork really appealed to me in that first issue. Yeah. And then, and, and then it'd become more, I suppose, in a way, something that a lot of people really like, a bit more stripped back, uh, a lot less reliance on tone and textures, and more reliance on line. And, um... That's a really interesting point, because I, I own a couple of bits of um, Val art. I've got a sketch, which I showed you of a lady's backside, and yeah. um, which my missus made a face at when I unwrapped. And um, I've got a page of Badger art. Now, I only bought the page of Badger art because he meets Putin in the page. And for a while, <laughs> I genuinely wondered whether it was genuinely Val Merrick's work. Right. I just kept looking at it and kept comparing the, the signatures and stuff. And it is. I heard him talk about it, you know, this work he did with Mike yeah. Barron. But so different. Um, yeah, you're right. I wonder whether 
some of the influence was working at continuity where he would be working in advertising and maybe storyboards and stuff because continuity just didn't didn't just do comics you know the crusty bunkers and all these sort of guys there was other stuff going on i think Um, as well if you're a professional comic book artist and you're having to get the pages out you find the style that is going to allow you to produce those pages and still get paid as quickly as possible yeah and yeah, so if you a... can strip everything back and, and make your own life easier, you know, a lot of what we do in small press, we've, we, we haven't got deadlines, so we yeah. can sink as much or as little time into it as we want. But with him, he, he's going to have deadlines. He's going to have to, like I say, make his artwork as fluid and as easy for him to do as possible. And when I was looking at that first one, which is for anyone who's interested in looking at it, it's called uh, Lady of the Silver Snows. Okay. Um, it, it's almost like a Frazetta thing. You know, yeah. he looks like a Spanish artist. It's amazingly detailed, loads of tone, loads of texture, like I said before, really complex pages. Some some of the panels are boardless panels as well. So yeah. they're sort of like merging into one another. And then all of a sudden um, we get, after that, we get the um, Darks and Demons story that I've already talked about. And then we get this one, this really strange story called The Death Dwarves of Steiger or something. <laughs> I like the sound of that. It's a crazy <laughs> story. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all a lot more fluid in the line and it's less reliant on all the other sort of like formal elements that he puts into his artwork in the earlier in the earlier issue. That's interesting. I heard him do an interview. I don't know if you guys heard it. He did, um, I think it's called Jacked Kirby. It's like a Jack Kirby um, podcast yeah. to Jack Kirby fans and it's a little dry but and he's he's got a bigger sense of humor I think than the two hosts you can tell him he's getting a bit bored occasionally but they put that to him they talk about the necessity for getting pages done and getting them out the door you know but they're comparing yeah. him to Kirby you know and the, 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 the rate that Kirby worked at and he he does say that he says at the time when he was coming in Lots of people would go on about he'd go into continuity studios and people would go on about oh Barry Windsor Smith took three weeks on this page and stuff like that. Yeah. And he said, why? Well, why would he do that? That's nonsense. I think you know. artists have different priorities. Some are trying yeah. to build a legacy, aren't they? Some yeah. some of them, they're sinking time. They, they don't really care how much they're getting paid, I don't think. They either are really comfortable or they're just desperate to put out the very, very best that they can do so they can look back on it or other people can look back on it and be like, that's, that's so impressive, wow. And then there's others who are just let's get through as much of this and some of it will be great and some of it will be below par and i think he's also someone who just maybe adapt if he's been in a studio where there's a lot of other artists yeah. he might have adapted his style depending on what he looked at you know yeah heard, what's, what's written you, in the script a lot of the time as well possibly yeah yeah yeah, yeah of course and some some of the things that he's being asked to draw you know the levels of imagination you have to get to Especially yeah. in this Conan stuff, it's you, you can't you can't find reference for it. You, you're just going to have to imagine it, hold it in your mind, and then try and get it down on paper as fluidly as you can. Yeah, totally. I think I think you're totally right there, man. And I think having been a, a writer who has written for both of you and written things like they're in a classroom full of kids or they're in a bar <laughs> yeah. full of gangsters and bottles on the wall and stuff like that, it's easy being a writer, isn't it? But the artist does have to apply himself to to doing that. Um, what about uh, you? What, sorry, go on, mate. I was just going to say, in the book I'm talking about, there's I, there's there's panels in that where I think the writer's just written, and he looks down at a whole army, <laughs> and and he he manages every time to just capture that and uh, yeah. whatever 
mega epic scenario that the writers wanting to be in that book he manages to capture it really yeah, your chosen really book well. couldn't is possibly the worst example of that you could absolutely think of isn't it really yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. what about you cliff is anyone any artist who you see and we're going to discuss is is actually the influences he quotes but is there anyone in his work that you see reflected out again so that's an it's a really interesting question because i i don't He's he's very definitely his own artist, you know. He yeah. brings his own style to the table. Um, so there are some consistencies in his work across the years, um, and then there are just some wild inconsistencies. And I think it's very much like um, Ian said, you know, he's sort of influenced depending on, I think, the time and I think the uh, you know the script that he's working on, the time that he has to do the script. Yeah. Um, I think you know from the perspective of how he approaches his work, he's just he's a very workmanlike journeyman artist i think at one point at one point he went away and did storyboards and came back again and i did wonder whether that had an effect on his art you know because with a storyboard you've got a director sitting next to you saying oh we need the next one we need the next one you know yeah and i'm sure styles evolve and as you as you learn like also as ian said you know you become quicker as you as you grow as an artist i think you know um so and it's a sort of this combination of time and space and energy and even how much you're being paid for the job, you know? And I think Mary's just one of these guys where he just comes in and he sees it as work, as a job, especially the comics. And he just, I think maybe increasingly so, um, you know, I know he's not much in comics these days, but when he was up to the 90s and, you know, late 90s, I think he he just came in, he just did that job and, uh, you know, grabbed the paycheck. And and that was kind of, he was just one of those, He's not like artists today who sort of, you know, sort of a little precious. You know, he was like Herbie. Yeah. He, sat, he sits down at the drawing board and he he, uh, he will draw a page and there you have it. There's the page. It's so um, good we've got that example of Kirby, isn't it? As the ultimate yeah. combination of being a dude who got pages done, many, many right. pages done, but also pages that were fucking breathtaking. Yeah. You know, we've got him think- as the great example, haven't we, I think, you know? it's a good example to turn to when you think about kind of the celebrity culture today that really surrounds artists so that they can be kind of a little precious about the whole sort of turning out pages thing. Um, Not by any means, every single artist, but you know, there is a sort of tendency to vanity. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. The old one has tendency to vanity. And I think, you know, it's the respect for these guys who not only sit down at the drawing board and produce like great work, but they can do it on a consistent and reliable basis. And I, th- I think he's, he's one of those guys. He's sort of, he's the jobbing artist where he gets brought in, you know, by his friends and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I thought was no matter what the standard of the drawing, and it's usually pretty good. Let's be honest. I mean, it's usually yeah. his storytelling never drops. The standard of his talk storytelling is always, pretty high isn't it you, yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. man yeah yeah and, he, think, he's, and that's why i think a lot of writers will have wanted him because then he, he can just he can just tell that story really he, so well yeah he could jump yeah. in as a filler artist at any point and just he does a lot of backups out, you know. and stuff doesn't he yeah yeah mm-hmm. and the, the storytelling is the important part and i think mm. you know a lot of artists tend to forget that is that no you know if you're spending you know, two days on a single panel and that panel doesn't move that story along. You've sort of, you've really cut your own feet yeah. out from under you. I mean, it's so much quoted Steve, Steve Dillon line that I said on his show a couple of times is if you pause too long to look at a panel and examine the art, the artist isn't doing their mm-hmm. job. Exactly. Yeah, yeah which yeah, is a really interesting point of view. We're going to move on. A... To, we're going to, we're definitely going to pick this up again in, in a minute, if you don't mind, Cliff. But 
no, no, from a point of view of his influences that I've heard him talk about is he absolutely loves Gene Colan, um, as I mm. do. Um, and there's an instinctuous, there's um, a fluidity to Colan, unlike it, you know, the most, the, there's very few people who can describe that word in their art as much as him. Um, he's he's a fan of Frazetta, which I can see. Is that something you guys can see that's, at all? Or? That's that's a natural, I think, everybody. Yeah. If you're not a fan of Rosetta, you're not really yeah fan, but you know very true <laughs> he's got he's got some sketches that he does that mm. that you'd almost swear were for that as i mean he can get yeah. to that level he really can and he's got that natural loose style so he, that use of shadow he, and stuff yeah. yeah yeah he's really good i mean well, that sketch you showed us t yeah. you know the lady yeah. Yeah. that you know we can see it in there especially in his natural pencil work that uh, yeah. isn't it yeah for sure yeah, if you said that was Wrightson or, or Frazetta or someone like that, I would fully believe that. Yeah, or yeah. That, the other one that came to mind with that, and it's someone he actually he claims to admire as well, is Jeffrey Catherine Jones, right? Um, which mm. I can see as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, and well, I was going to say, go on, sorry, Karen. no, go on, please do. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say um, that, that I think some, you know, his early, uh, you can see some of his um, colleagues from Upstart Studios, uh, you know. Simonson yeah. and Chaikin and Stalin in his line and his work, especially I think um, Stalin. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get you. Yeah, to most a degree. Certainly. Yeah, um, we're gonna. There, that's our next subject. So hold that thought for a second, um, mm. Mr. Q. But the another one he talks about quite openly is when he moved to New York. He, back then, you could like look people up in the phone book and ring them and go around their house, you know. And he rung <laughs> Boris Vallejo um, up who did a lot of the Marvel magazine covers, and I think he did a lot of the, the Sword of Conan, Savage Sword of Conan comics. And he just went around his house. He said, I just fancied learning how he did it. So I went around and he showed me. I thought, ain't that great? You know. Yeah, that's incredible. He's a great artist as well. Yeah. Him and his wife, Julie Bell, they're both really good. Uh, okay, interesting. So you mentioned it there, Cliff, um, Upstart Studio. So we've all heard mm. of the studio, haven't we, you know? Um, Barry Windsor Smith being and Catherine, Jeffrey Catherine Jones and Wrightson and um, who was the fourth one who his name I forget who did the shadow um, Kaluta um, were members mm. of um, which I recently got actually I had been long sort of jonesing on getting that and I bought it um, Simon Russell brought it along to Portsmouth actually when I last saw you and he, he gave oh, me that right. a copy of it there so watch out for that one coming up but Upstart Associates, a.k.a. Upstart Studios, was formed by Mayorick, Howard Chaikin, Walt Simonson and Jim Starlin um, as a sort of place to be. I think Simonson and Chaikin had lived together previously. I'm going to say in Queens um, yeah. as sort of flatmates prior to that. And it, Mayorick was the shortest lived person there, but it, it, at, at the place, not lived. But, of the founders. Of yeah, the founders, of the founders, yeah. yeah. And he left after a while, just before, it looks like, if you look at the timeline, just before Frank Miller turned up, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, I, w I was wondering whether the two—I don't know—you know—might have been uh, there. Might be some coincident, uh, coincidental, you know, something there. I'd be interested to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder. And they—they to me, you've got four people, the founders there, who who were kind of, kind of from the school of Neil. I mean, Neil Adams was a, an atomic bomb in comics, wasn't he? He, he influenced well, so many. I can steer I mean, straight Merrick, lines uh, to them. You know. Merrick worked, like, when he went to New York, if I remember right, he worked with Neil Adams' studio yeah. for yeah. a short amount of time. So I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, that might have been connected to forming Upstart, maybe. Yeah. Mm. 
I can certainly see that. And it's, it's a studio that maintained for a while. I've heard Howard Chaikin talking about it recently. I think he refers to it as the poor cousin of the studio, but I'm not sure if that's right. I kind of I kind of like all those guys. They're all yeah, certainly favourites of mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, assistants in the... I'm not sure they were there when Mayerick was there, when Val was there, but certainly Peter Cooper, who I'm a fan of, um, and Dean mm. Haspiel as well, were assistants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Val left in 1980 and was replaced by a guy called James Sherman, who's probably known most for his Tarzan and Legion superheroes stuff. Mm. I first read him, I think, when he did Steel Grip Starkey. <laughs> That's a hell of a title, isn't it? At Epic <laughs> Comics. Um, so he was surrounded, he's always been surrounded, Val, by, you know, amazing creators from, from you know, the, the, the moment he entered comics and was Atkins was sort of tutoring him almost all the way through mm. this. But to me, I don't know what you guys think. I find him... Um, I find him a bit of an outsider sometimes. You Most know, he, definitely, yeah. He's he's, been, he's definitely a people. He's he's been associated with some of the greats, and they've gone on to huge career success. Yeah. Uh, but Merrick has just seemed to sort of be in the shadows to a degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think I sort of thought he was a bit like to liken him to Peter Cook as uh, right. you know, as Peter Cook was to comedy. He would dip and dive into projects that he found interesting, yeah. or that he needed to do to make some money so that he could support kind of whatever else he was doing. I guess drinking for him. <laughs> and I've always wondered if, you know, Merrick has always had sort of, uh, he, he, and he does sort of. He's a portraitist for horses, equestrian art, and that seems to be his passion. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always wonder if he sort of he did the early comics work to really support his acting. Which was his preference. Yeah. His acting and, and his martial arts seem to be two big passions. Martial arts, yeah. and he never, he never realised. Okay, well, you know, maybe I'm, I'm get, where I'm gaining traction is the art, and this is where I should put my time, energy, and, and resources. You know, so yeah. he sort of dipped and dived and moved around, and um, you know, who he, can who just, who yeah. who of us can say that we've got that sort of retrospective eye when it's happening? You know, we never no, know it's happening thought, yeah. when we do, do you? You know. Oh no, and I, I, you know, I can appreciate that because it seems to me it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? He 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 pursued his passions. He he did stuff that he was good at in order to be able to sort of you know, you know, I I feel sort of echoes of that in my own life. You know, it was yeah. like. I didn't pursue comics until very late in life, although I've always been interested. But, you know, I, now I see my day-to-day -day job as being very much sort of supporting my comics addiction. Yeah. And in the same way, I can see Mayerick doing comics as supporting his acting and now later in life his equestrian art. And, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I can appreciate that. I think, you know, go for the happiness rather than the money. To I mean, degree. Ian, do you see him as someone who sort of does something you know, he's almost like that the great martial artist who walks in the room, defeats everyone, and then gets bored and goes somewhere else. You know, there's a bit of that yeah, well, sometimes. I, I just feel like a lot of it, just listening to you and Cliff, then I just feel like some of this doesn't doesn't always make sense. I mean, yeah. we're talking here with the modifier's style so he can churn out the pages, but then I don't know how many books he was actually on, but it seems like he, he sort of jumped around and didn't stay on anything for a long period of time. So maybe... He was someone who just got bored of working in a particular way and tried to, yeah. you know, yeah. when you were saying, who does he remind you of? We could have drawn up a list of about 20 different artists because almost yeah, like true. every single page is, is it, right. it, it yeah. doesn't seem to have, you can kind of tell it's his work all the way through, but he seems to go through 
different style changes regularly and then maybe come back to ones that it looks like he's abandoned. And, you know, we see this with other artists, but he seemed to just, maybe that's why we didn't see him on long runs because, oh, well, he might have been on a long run from what I've seen. On no, I think he got bored easily. Yeah, I think he did. I've got a little list of some of the stuff he did. And you, you have to remember some okay. of this might be covers and some of it is just inking jobs. You know, he just did inking mm -hmm. sometimes. Right, okay. um, so he's, Savage Sword of Conan, I think he did maybe 10, 15 issues of that. Um, Vampirella, yeah. um, which is something I'm going to talk about, the magazine, not the character, but the, the backup stories. Um, he's, he did Kato at Now Comics. Um, mm -hmm. He did, uh, I know you're a big fan of it, Q, Sliders. He did the Sliders <laughs> comic. Um, he did Eclipse Magazine, Hardcore. Yep, no, it's not that kind. Um, there's stuff at Valiant. Um, he did Fallen Angels, which is the New Mutants spin-off mini. I think he inked on that one. He only did one book at DC, which is Doorway to Nightmare, which is one of these sort of anthology titles. Um, did Time Walker at Valiant. Vampire Tales, which was the black and white magazine that had Blade and Morbius and stuff like that in it. Mm. He did some Badger, um, Battle of the Five Wizards, um, which is where I get the Putin page from. And they did it with the Mike Barron. I think they're, I think they're buddies. I think he and Mike Barron. I was actually going to yeah talk about that a little bit. Okay, cool. A number of, of course. My Baron projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Marvel preview paradox, which was kind of the comic that I was looking at when I decided to contact you two guys. Which is, mm. it's kind of Barbarella, Jerry Cornelius, Morcockian, space opera mentalness. You know, quite a lot of tits in it. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, another thing he did with Steve Gerber, which is absolutely brilliant, and was almost my choice for tonight, is Void Indigo. Um, which is just Ooh. blood splat stuff. Um, I'm writing that down too. I yeah, Void Indigo. It was originally a graphic Indigo. novel. I think there's three or four issues out of that after that. Um, they did some Punisher in the 90s, which is, you know, your sort of typical Larry Hammer, Chuck Dixon, mm. you know, gung-ho. Interest yeah. Interestingly, around that time, his style um, adjusted to echo the, the sort of the house style of a lot of artists of that period. Yeah, it, uh, that yeah. was something I was going to mention with the Bruce Lee thing because it was in mid ninety in the mid nineties that he did that. Yeah, yeah. I actually call it. It's my little phrase for it that I use in my head mostly is doing a sound. So they almost yes. go from doing um, something that looks like a Catherine, yeah, a Jeffrey Catherine Jones page to doing mm. like something that is more akin to maybe a Ron Friends or a Salvo Seymour or something like that. You know, which is just mm. meat and potatoes storytelling. Um, which mm -hmm. is what he was doing yeah. in, in the Badger stuff. He did some heavy metal. He did a book called Sensei out of First Comics, which I read this week, and is, again, it's it's like that meat and potatoes. It's good fun. There's a lot mm -hmm. of martial arts in it. You can see the pages with the martial arts. You can see he's really digging. Um, mm -hmm. He did, after creating How the Duck, he did return to him in a number of places. He did one issue. Um, he did um, he did the, rather than Baghdad, it's Bag Mum. Is the name of the, the sort of flying carpets and stuff episode he did. He did some Toxic Avenger. Um, if you listen to him talk about it, he says the thing he is most proud of, the comic he most enjoyed and is most proud of, is a comic called New Master, um, which mm. is it New Master, which is is the comic that appeared in Eerie. Um, but he um, and then it continued off into a sort of one of those part of the any in, in comics boom in the late eighties. Um, so he did that. Did some Strike Force Morituri. Um, he's inked over Joe Staten of all people. Um, mm. He he actually said at one point he didn't really like the backstabbing politics that was happening in comics, not politics with a big P, just office politics type stuff. Um, yeah. And he would go back to do the newspaper strip for about six weeks on 
um, Howard the Duck. But it was when Gerber was, re- I mean, he, he, he's always saying it, you know, he says everyone knows Gerber was um, like terrible with deadlines and it got cancelled because <laughs> it was so behind. Um, yeah, this is interesting. I think maybe it's, an, it's a good time to jump into your book now, Cliff. So you chose a book to talk about. The, we chose, yes, chose yeah. a story or a book. Yeah, what did you choose, mate? Actually, it's interesting because it marks kind of probably one of the more consistent parts of um, Mayerick's career, um, you know, uh, and, and it's uh, it's called uh, uh, Bruce Lee, which is that's the, just the name of it. Um, yeah. And it's a Mike, Mike Barron creation for uh, Malibu Comics. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So written by Mike Barron, uh, Mayerick is the uh, penciler on it. Uh, James Sherman is the inker. Uh, and it ran from July 94 to December 94, six issue uh, limited series. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is sort of plenty of mullet action in there. <laughs> um, uh, so um, it's, uh, I, you know, it's, uh, it would be interesting to sort of take a look at the cultural context by which this comic came to be, because this is not a comic I think would ever get produced today. Okay. Um, y- you know? Uh, and I know Malibu was turning out kind of some of the licensed stuff. And apparently uh, Baron, in, he writes a sort of introductory column in the first edition where he talks about the estate of Bruce Lee um, uh, li- licensing Malibu uh, to do Bruce Lee stories. Okay. And um, Mike Barron's uh, a- initial letter is called, uh, it's uh, How Bruce Lee uh, Changed My Life, or Bruce Lee Changed My Life is the name of the introductory column. Because they're both um, very keen martial artists, aren't they? Barons are yeah, a bit, uh, still practices now. Yeah, yeah, he does. So um, he was talking a little bit how he brought the team together, and he reached out to he recruited uh, Mayerick for the project uh, because he was quote the perfect artist for. In addition to being an excellent storyteller, he is an accomplished martial artist who always gets the techniques right. Now, ah, I don't yeah. think that means that Baron was leaning over his shoulder watching him do his carters or stuff like that. I think he means artistically he could draw the techniques yeah. in a realistic way, um, which is something he does in this comic. You know, I think when you were talking to Baron, uh, Tony, for the Awesome Comics podcast, one of the things he mentioned was kind of like most people drawing fights and how difficult yeah. fights are to draw in a realistic manner. And especially martial arts fights from, you know, like Shang-Chi and places like that were kind of, you know, not true to the form. They were just sort of hacky kind of representations of martial arts fights. Well, I mean, you can see in this comic book all the way through, like it's, it's, so basically it's a vehicle that updates Bruce Lee's story from the 60s to the modern era, the modern era. Oh, so is he, he's still alive type story, is it? Is that uh, Yeah, it's, it's. It's basically if he was born like 20 years later. So if he was sort of born, I don't know, in the mid 70s and in this, he would be in his early 20s um, coming into, um, I think it's Los Angeles where he starts his studio. And it's essentially his life story, but it's written as if it's taking place. Uh, uh, okay, starting in the 90s where his career begins because so from a cultural a really... point of view this was when we had chuck norris and van damme was starting and all this sort of thing in the 90s wasn't it? yeah 80s, so, 90s, yeah so uh, culturally it was um it was what was known as the uh, the second wave of um i wrote it down here somewhere it's the second wave of uh what was it called uh, the the um like the the uh Kung Fu, the Asian invasion or the okay. Kung Fu movies. 
by yeah. John Woo and people like that. Okay. Um, you know, he, he had become popular. I think there was this resurgence in interest in martial arts. There was like tons of schlocky B movies being turned out. Um, and, uh, you know, finally Hollywood caught on to this. And I think, you know, it was just a good time. I think Malibu, uh, there was a resurgence of interest in Bruce Lee around that time. Um, and Bruce Lee movies. So I think it was just a really good timing for, for Baron and Malibu. And um, so you had mentioned this, but um, Mayerick um, and Baron and also the Inca Sherman had uh, worked on a small limited series uh, uh, for Cato. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so this is the uh, Green Hornet spin off series. Yeah. Cato, the yeah. Green Hornet. So the, the first one was penciled by Brent Anderson. Oh, okay. Uh, really. Or the art in it is fantastic. Uh, the second one, which is this, where it's it, it sort of again it updates. What if Cato was alive in the nineties? You know, he's like sixty years old, right. uh, no longer with the Green Hornet, but acting as kind of like a security advisor. Um, and and it's just like nuts martial arts and you know throwing shuriken and all that kind of stuff. You know. Yeah. So it was a two issue uh, series where Cato's protecting a, like a David Lee Roth knockoff um, <laughs> pop star, rock star. Uh, 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 and that was in 92. So it was a couple of years before this. So Malibu acquired the rights and then Baron sort of was like, this is my chance to um, sort of do, eulogize uh, Bruce Lee, you know, because yeah. it's clear he really feels Bruce Lee is just this, incredible person and you know the movies all changed his life got him introduced to martial arts and all that okay stuff. cool so, yeah because obviously so, if you read badger badger is centered around martial arts there's a lot of talk about it, that exactly so from the there, early there, days yeah there's a real flow through here of baron's interests not to make this all about baron but yeah you know he, he reached out to merrick because of merrick's interest in martial arts and also uh, Sherman because of their involvement on the project, uh, the Cato project. Right. So they do the six issue series, and it's it's just fucking mad. It's just <laughs> it's just like it, it, it's. I, I think in, at some point one of the editors in a note uh, in one of the editions says, you know, this would have been the movie had <laughs> Bruce Lee lived. You know, right. something like that. Um, so it starts off with him opening his uh, his uh, martial arts studio opposite a um, you know some other guy's karate studio. They get into and they get into it, and I think there's a little bit of truth there. You yeah, know, and he just he's he just goes through the whole thing, just kicking ass. I mean, it's just just this constant sort of as there's like at least three four fights every book. Yeah, um, and it ends. Uh, with um, Bruce Lee filming a movie in, I believe, what's South America, uh, where he uh, he meets a Jean-Claude Van Damme clone. So there's your right. tie-in for, for that period. Um, and uh, he, he, he eventually deposes a South American drug warlord um, who, who is an accomplished martial artist who punches uh, bulls to death uh, barehanded right, okay. <laughs> in his arena. Um, and the concluding action scene is above a crane in Los Angeles. So it turns out the movie's a whole, um, it's a ploy to smuggle drugs. And, yeah, um, I was going to say there's the, the sheen of cocaine on this somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> yes, yeah. well, it's yeah. op opium, opium oh, okay. right. Um So uh, fields of opium. So, you know, eventually it concludes at the top of a, a crane, I think, overlooking Los Angeles where, you know, Bruce goes to a, a, his girlfriend's 
birthday party and just happens to see the director who skipped out on the movie and then goes chases after him. So you know, there's parts of sort of um, I'd watch Edge a movie like Dragon. that. I'd watch that oh movie. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just a ruckus, and um, I mean, anybody who knows Mike Barron's writing, it's just balls to the wall action all the way through. <laughs> so it's like Badger on steroids. Um, yeah. Clearly, you know, clearly all the influences are drawn from Bruce Lee's sort of movies, and I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan, so yeah. I mean, you know. It's like I've seen all of his movies dozens of times over. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because I've heard Mike Barron use exactly the same phrases I heard um, Val Mayrick use today in an interview is, mm. I can't get Marvel or DC to, th- to answer the phone to me. And it's yeah, such a amazing. shame, isn't it? And um, so, I mean, I think that's more because of their... Well, Barron had, you know, he's had some issues with um, sort of supporting the police at a time when... Yeah, it might know, be. Yeah, enough, didn't, he call, didn't he He talks about it on the show, didn't, didn't he call... Line? Didn't he, yeah, didn't he, didn't he call Gail Simone a bit of an old cat woman or something? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, he tweeted, she tweeted something about where are my cat ladies in um, comics, and he tweeted back something about, well, they're already there or something. Yeah. Thought, oh, <laughs> you can run a ship for that. But Mike Barron is also famously and staunchly conservative, so yeah. you know, he did his book Thin Blue Line, and of course... It was exactly the the wrong time to do. Yeah, a book that just was pro police. Yeah, I have to say, I, I published, self published. I mean, and I, I think I Mayrick is similarly conservative. He worked for a, he did cartoons apparently for a site that was connected to Breitbart, which is a very conservative. Right, you know Breitbart, right? yeah, yeah, in, in the yeah. US. So, you know, really, they are. Well, the, we, we know someone who does cartoons for Guido Fawkes. So, yeah, it doesn't seem <laughs> right. to be. I tell you that is like. They're out there for sure, yeah. but I think because of that, he's sort of uh, he and Mayerick are a bit persona non grata. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't, you two guys think, but I don't care what their fucking no, politics no, is. I've, they live I've, in another fucking country. If people want to know about my politics, I'll, I'll give them a fucking two hour lecture about how I feel about the uh, the extension to the A5. You know, that's politics, isn't it? Yeah, for but, sure. There's a there's an absolute degree where you have to separate the art from uh, the art from the artist, and yeah. I don't just mean. But like I think, drawing, I mean I think writing a, and creating. Yeah, I think it's know? a shame because I think they're both great. You know, they really. Yeah, are, I think you're missing but, out if you you know reading yeah. Badger. It's just a madcap kind of fun story where he just is having a lot of fun and you know. Nexus, and, my uh, God, Nexus is amazing. Nexus, um, yeah. you know, Americ stuff. I mean, Merrick's an artist. He he doesn't put any politics into his work. Yeah. I mean, maybe his personal stuff, but and I'm sure we'll get to his latest work, you know, which Ian's read. Yeah, that's an interesting um, point of view. Yeah, and that's that's certain. I wouldn't call that a, a sort of a right wing. For, you know, none none of it is, is it? The the, the other thing yeah. I laugh I like about if we to to get off the politics because I think it's misleading. Mm-hmm. You know, but the I think the other thing that makes this. me laugh about um, Val is he he looks like he'd kick your ass. Um, yes, not just he's, because he's always doing high kicks, but also because I've you seen his face when he's getting interviewed. Sometimes he just makes me laugh. Yeah. So I actually noted, I actually put a note down about kind of um, that he's, a, you know, he seems kind of cold and emotionless. Um, he, doesn't he doesn't suffer faults, which is a, a quality I admire you know, in most people, you know. You know, it's, it's what yeah. my wife in her social work career would call low affect. He just, he's sort of pretty emotionless and he's very matter of fact, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's why yeah, I yeah. think he's just like, that's why I think he's just like workmanlike in his approach to comics. It, to him, it's just a job and he sits down and does it, you know? Yeah, yeah I think so, uh, which is good. Stripped of the the glamour and sort of narcissism of the field. He just, yeah. he's like, I'm going to sit down and 
get this page done today. And, and he's that's a rant on Twitter about stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, he, he actually yeah. said because he was from that era before. We'll get onto your book in a sec, um, uh, Ian. But the, because he doesn't, he comes from that era before the internet and stuff. He didn't know what people thought about his art. He didn't know that people liked his art. You know, he, he out of the blue got a surprised invite to a comic convention. And he was just like astounded that anyone was interested in yeah. what he had to say about it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting way to be about anybody it. Who's pre, anybody who does art pre-internet um, would, will understand that feeling. It was like I didn't know people liked my art until I started posting it on social media mm. and finally getting some feedback that gave me the confidence yeah. to do it. I mean, he, he just he just got on with it. Anyway, yeah. I just make one more point about Kermit, Bruce Lee. Yeah, please do. Yeah, um, and that is, you know, we've talked about Valmeric's consistency as an artist, um, and uh, it's interesting because across the six-issue run, which is kind of, you know, probably one of the longer runs that Mayerick has had, yeah, sort of throughout his career, um, it, it does start off incredibly strong, but then, like Ian said, it falls into a much more efficient kind of style. Okay, uh, and it made me think that maybe. Um, there's a little bit of that uh, John Bushima approach to it um, because I think uh, Sherman definitely brings his own style to the ends. And you can sort of see yes. it all the way through. And, and, and you know, Merrick's not one to take a shortcut, but there's a couple of really badly photocopied pictures of Bruce Lee that appear on one page. <laughs> right. You can tell it's like, okay, well, here's the photocopied picture of Bruce Lee. And then like, you know, six panels on, he shifts that photocopy just a little bit, just adjusts it enough. So it looks like it's a different facial right. expression. Which uh, we see a lot of these that. days, don't we? We see a lot. Well, yeah. now now digital art's around. Yeah, you, you know, you're going to, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole nother subject. But, um, you know, I, I, I love it. The, the action is strong. The pacing is excellent. I mean, Baron's script is a madhouse, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. Sign you know, if you get a like, chance, sign up to his Substack because it does. It does oh, some well. great writing advice, you know. Yeah, in there. yeah, yeah, for sure. But you can see kind of like the authentic martial arts, really authentic martial arts uh, action, and there's some good sort of pe people getting kicked in the face and punched in the face, and yeah, you know, just good stuff. Good, um, Ian. Over to you, my friend. So you've um, chosen of Dust and Blood. Did you want to have a little? Do we have a little conversation about that one? Oh yeah, um, it's it's uh, when you first said Valmeric, and I was looking at it. I, at first, I was thinking there's loads of artists out there who, who work in these genres that I think might be stronger than him, and I was wondering why um, you'd selected him out okay. of all of the, the ones that you possibly could have. But then the more I looked at his art, like um, either online or or just buying, picking up bits and pieces um, digitally. I started to really enjoy his work and I really, really love this book. It's called Of Dust and Blood. Um, it's written by Jim Berry. It's illustrated and I think coloured and inked by Val Merrick. I think so, yeah. find another artist on it. And it's lettered by Simon Boland and it's published by um, NBM Graphic Novels. And yeah, originally kickstarted, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, it was like yeah, which maybe alludes to the fact that, like you were saying, Marvel doesn't want to know. So maybe, like many of us, he's having to go down like that kickstart. No, I've heard get, him say it, man. Get... Yeah, I've heard him say it. it's, it's right, a genuine okay. alternative now to going to a publisher because he says I can do yeah. it myself. Um, he met Jim. Um, they met at a comic convention, um, and right. they'd previously made a short film which I haven't seen, um, which I must try, okay. and, which was which was Kickstarter funded, and um. 
but what what the thing that Jim was very keen on doing was showing both sides, which he does. I'm sure you'll get to that in a second. Yeah. And and he he picked on Val because Val just absolutely loves Western, you know, when you say like the Wild West style art. Um, and Val also drawing horses. Yeah, fucking, he can draw a horse. Yeah, <laughs> he loves horses. And he, he was saying he, he's almost like he was saying he's you know it's almost the way he was saying it is almost like Val is Rain Man in relation to the details that are required. So he knows the amount of buttons on a soldier in this regiment's jacket and. You know the kind, yeah. the kind of horses they would, the markings the you know the indigenous people would have and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's so. There's, I don't know if you, I know you've got the book. I don't know yeah. if the physical copy's got the little field notes at the back of it the has. book. Yeah, it has. Uh, yeah. Um, they they were really insightful. They talk about him um, loving riding horses and spending so much of his life around horses, and yeah. it. It lists off, um, let me see, I've got some notes here. He lists off three um, influences that he's got that I looked up. And that if anyone is interested in Westerns and Western art, they're really worth a look. They might be familiar to other people because uh, Frederick Remington, William Lee and Charles Russell. And I think we can be a bit snobbish about fine art coming from America, but these guys paint the best horses and yeah. Western scenes that you can imagine. And you can see there, you know, we talked about maybe artists that are like him, but he, he's trying to be these artists and um, they're just, they're really phenomenal um, like oil paintings that you can see from him. Um, and then the fair best thing that jumps out about this book is that is the cover it's a, it's an absolute striking image um you've got an indigenous person on on um, a horse the horse is sort of turning one way he's sort of looking straight at you and you've got the um stars and stripes that he's holding up and it, i mean it almost tells a lot of the story for you right there because this whole book is about um the battle at little big horn yeah. which we sort of know as custer's yeah. last stand and it's told from two different viewpoints, which you've already said, Tony. It's told by uh, Greenhall, who's a 7th uh, Cavalry Scout. Um, and it's also told by Slowhawk, who's a young Lakota warrior. Yeah. And we see we're interest, introduced to people like Custer and Crazy Horse and all that. And it's it's just beautifully drawn all the way through. You've got sort of like loose line work that all just feels very natural. Like that's the other thing I think sometimes when we're talking about his style being a bit stripped back, he's just so naturally putting these lines down. Okay. You, they, you can see the flow of them very clearly. There's all different varieties of line weights, there's some thick, some thin. And then he's got this sort of watercolour wash over for the top. Yeah. Um, that yeah. I think has been either done traditionally or he might have added that digitally because I think you can get that, that effect digitally, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. And all the way through this book, there's like pages where there's about 20 different horses on the page, uh, loads of different warriors. I counted one page that had 11 different panels on them, on it. They're just all drawn really well. Um, the lettering in it is really tiny in places. Yeah, that's the only my big problem with it was the lettering yeah. was just too small to read at times because it's, it's actually an oversized book. So it's it's like a big uh, Bondesine book is about the size. Well, of I it. was definitely zooming in and yeah. you no, know, I didn't do it um frame by frame because I wanted to take in the whole a whole page at the time. Yeah. There's um a page with a circular layout in it so he tries to play around with his land uh, like his layouts and stuff like that. Um but there's one 
page really early on in the book where we're looking down on this um, camp of the indigenous people and it's really breathtaking. You know, you, you're sort of looking behind uh, a warrior who's looking down on the camp. And when I was looking at it, I was trying to almost take away the colours and just focus on the line work. And you realise that the line work is quite loose and sparse and the further you get, obviously, into the distance. And a lot of that's just done with his colours that he's used. Right. But right. so many really stand out standout um, panels and pages in it. I, I put on my notes here that he reminded me, I don't know if I've got this right, but I thought that maybe a little bit of a link to like Carlos Esquerra or somewhere okay. like that. Yeah. Where... That's interesting. Um, it's, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? That, you know, this sort of underscores that, you know, when he he's, he's a really talented artist, clearly with his equine portraiture, but when he brings his sort of A game you know, when it's a yeah. passion project, this is something that he's clearly you know, really cares about, and he's bringing uh, like the t top of the line quality of work to it. He is, but it's still very much like some of the stuff we've talked about, where the 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 because he's working in color, and this was the um, other than his like oil paintings that I think he did for covers of like things like heavy metal and stuff. This is the only stuff I've seen of his that's in colour that's like sequential art because everything else I'd seen was just black and white. So it it still has quite sparse line work in this as well. Um, I said when he's doing like exaggerated emotions or people shouting or something, you see that cartoony or cartooning style come out in okay. his drawings where he's probably not using it. I didn't think he used much references. I don't know about what you thought, Tony, but I thought I wasn't the horse... Sure. Yeah, I can imagine there was a lot of photographs from the period of the time, you know, and stuff like that. And you would have yeah. to get the Lakota Sioux stuff right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I think the only time I think I saw one figure drawing that I thought was referenced was um, someone staring down the barrel of a rifle, which is really hard to draw from your mind's eye, if you like. And he, yeah. he's probably used the photo there. But I felt like the horses, he, he must, he's either just got this such a good knowledge of them that he doesn't need any of uh, yeah. like anatomical studies or he, he just i think he was stronger at the horses and the vistas as well that he did but the faces again that storytelling that we talked about really comes out because you know exactly how everyone's thinking their emotions the moods that they're going through there's a double page well i think it's two pages it might only be one of like a campfire where the backgrounds are all blacked out and it's um the tribes all sat around the campfire and they're talking about what's about to come and it's all sort of done in yellows and oranges and that's absolutely yeah, striking. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the thing with it as well is the pacing on it is so well done. I mean I, I'm a I'm a big fan of this as a sort of subject area. So I remember my, yeah. my father making me read Bury Bury Your Heart of Wounded Knee when I was like twelve, you know. So this sort of stuff has always been of an interest to mine. But there's so you know how it's going to end, you know. Yeah. But the, he he manages to build the tension, and when you've got those two stories coming at each other, I don't yeah. know why, but I didn't suddenly when they met, I thought because uh, the two the, the the Lakota suit warrior and the scout both meet at one point, and I, it just occurred to me, of course they meet in it. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, but it's done I with some that... weight, you know. Yeah, and they both. I don't know. Can we go into spoilers or not? Should we stay away from them? There's, there's one, there's uh, yeah, one bit where they they both see something that symbolizes something of great importance to them. So one sees like the bald eagle flying overhead, and one sees um, 
uh, something that's very similar to the cover where you've got someone holding the stars and stripes and right. they both had different meanings to them at the end and again that's handled really well i love those those pages where they met because the first two are completely wordless so yeah. he's having to do all the drawing and the storytelling there um the action scenes are incredible in it there's one where the, the blue coats um are all sort of running for the cover of the woods and it's done so well because the horses and them on the horseback they're all going from right to left so they're almost going the wrong way in comic book times but the guy is looking over his shoulder and pointing the gun in the opposite direction, which absolutely grabs your attention, even though there's all this stuff going on around it. Yeah. I just really, really love I mean, like you, I, I, I do love this whole genre. Um, and it just, it's so, it's like, I felt like I was watching like a film. In fact, I was wondering if sometimes he maybe had been watching old Westerns and then paused them for particular set pieces because some of them are so well realized yeah i wonder if it was something from like the history channel or something like that he'd watch yeah. some old footage or something similar to yeah. that you know yeah yeah it's, and and um i don't, like he i think he makes his line work a little bit looser on purpose when there's lots of action happening right and i think he speeds up how quick he's drawing and and to make it look more frenzied as well so that energy comes off the page and there's some really brutal bits of action as well you've got headshots you've got horses being run through with spears arrows through the neck you've got loads of that going on as well and he's got some little tiny panels on the pages what they kind of do is there's not many splash pages i think the first page is the only splash page in the whole book but because there's lots of little tiny tiny little panels the bigger panels on the page, they almost feel like a splash page. Right. Uh, yeah. Only yeah. 48, 48 pages long. Yeah, it's not a long book, is it, at all? No. Yeah. No. It's well worth picking up. My, I got mine digitally for six ninety nine. I think it's about £8 now, but it's really... That's good. You know, you can get yeah. through the whole thing pretty quick, but you'll come back to it for the artwork, definitely. Yeah. One one interesting comparison that I, I forgot to raise earlier about um, Balmeric's work is that a he, well he's not a writer so it's interesting that he's managed to do the pacing and storytelling so well in this book but also that he's never really coloured by he never colours himself in any of his work interiors right um, but but he his covers he does do his own covers and they're much more painterly and the quality of the covers are much more. And he brings a lot more quality to them when he's doing kind of, you know, he has a little bit more license to sort of use color in his own work. So it's kind of interesting to hear with this work, which is 100% his own, you know, the, the, the sort of the level of skill that he's bringing to it. But, um, you know, it, it seems to be if there's a consistency, he's always consistently done really excellent cover work, um, sometimes, you know, more so than the interiors. So. I don't know what that says. Uh, just sort of, <laughs> it's just yeah. interesting to. Yeah, I think he. I think he maybe values the painted art a lot more. If he, if he's mm. been knocking on Boris Bellagio's door wanting to know how he does it, like it, the, the, that kind of fancy art. You've got Frazetta at the top, and then you've got people like Bellagio below it, and then Mayrick's probably looking up to them, wanting yeah. to to pick up all that. And I think he sees that where is real, like you. Maybe that's where he's going to sink that time into because he believes they're the images that people are going to remember him for. 
like yeah. the cover to this is all fully painted isn't it and it looks great and then i sent you guys that one of the yeah. t-rex surrounded by oh, like so cowboys good. that is yeah. just yeah, it's very good yeah and it shows so that, like the, the that level of draftsmanship that he's got and mm. yeah yeah i just think i think he sees I, I think he sees some of the comic book pages as, as what they are really there's something that's yeah. kind of maybe potentially a little bit disposable something that you're gonna read quick so yeah. why in where the cover image is going to be the thing that mm. that's designed yeah. to hold that's the only bit that's really really designed to hold your attention and grab your attention that's, it? that's yeah. interesting you say that because his first cover work was savage sword of conan um yeah. and he um he, he didn't when it came out he thought that's not the conan i drew and someone had been employed to draw mm. conan over the top of his conan so everything else oh, wow. was val Mayrick's work you know it's, it's sort of shades of kirby superman isn't it you know yeah and, the face changing yeah, yeah. and yeah. um he went he, he said right i'm fuck it, i'm not having this so he storms in to see stan and sort of rants at stan about it and stan being like the consummate sort of smooth professional that he was sort of sat there listened to him yeah nodded and said anyway val how are you enjoying living in the city <laughs> and just completely fucking changed the subject <laughs> That's a that's a subtle threat. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, right? yeah. and and Val just was sort of just taken aback and went, Oh, well you know, I'm liking it. Oh, where are you eating? You know, where sort of places are you going to? You know, oh I can recommend a good diner to you and he just sort of completely took his legs away and just sort of swept him away <laughs> of being a nice bloke to him. So yeah, I think he did take sort of huge pride in doing those covers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think there's something to be said also for the that the, the a lot of artistic skill is knowing where to put the effort exactly like Ian yeah. was just saying. There's, there's a, there's comics sold on know, the I covers, remember, man. They still should be, you know, that's the thing remember, as well. Yeah. You know, Brendan McCarthy sort of talking about this a little bit on the pod, you know, where he was talking about, well, you know, you can tell uh, an amateur artist by the amount of detail they put in all the time. <laughs> yeah, and that, true, that really yeah. that struck me. Well, it's and, the same um, as writers, isn't it? Putting like yeah. putting loads of dialogue in when you don't need it. It's the same, you know, same effect, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I it's mean, something... it's like. Carry on. Sorry, Ian. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's something that I'm like. The more I do it, the more I am putting into it. It's like mm. you don't know which way to go, and I think you either lean into one approach or another, don't you? You either strip it right back and have it nice and simple and clear and that tends to be the comic art that I think seems to ring true for most people. Most people want to see that. Yeah. When they sort of dial and cook upwards, that. isn't it? Yeah. It's that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then you get people who are just wanting to get as much detail as they can into every single panel. And, you know, I think I enjoy looking at that stuff as, as well. Um, and I, or maybe this is the guy who sort of did, did both in his career quite a lot didn't i i've seen it where he's got like hyper detail loads of loads of effort has gone into every panel and then literally a year later yeah it's completely different again yeah so i i, I mean you, we see it we see a lot of artists in you know the, the big two and in small press i mean we're only chatting to martin simmons about it this week about his style change you know and you apply yourself to the project, don't you? Which is maybe what he's doing there, you know. But not only you apply yourself to the project, you apply yourself to the project plus the deadline, plus the pay, plus the style of storytelling, plus the script. You know, there's a lot of variables there, aren't they? Depending on if you are that professional, you know how to draw something, you know. Yeah. Um, right, we're going to... Uh, we, we've been rabbiting on for ages now, but so we, I'm going to... 
I'm going to leave. I'm going to give you a question, then I'm going to do my choice. So I'm just letting the question linger. Now I think I, I think I messaged you guys about this one, fan casting. So we're going to say we get to see him on a long running series. What's it going to be? Um, at any period, you know, whatever period in his career that we've looked at so far. Um, but before I'm going to leave you that question, so you can mull that over while I rabbit on a bit about my choice, which was a very short story. I think it's only seven pages long from issue 82 of Vampirella magazine from October 1979. So the earliest of all the three we're talking about, actually, um, it, it actually the issue actually had two short stories in there by Val, drawn by Val. But the one I'm going to talk about is Fever, which was written by Roger McKenzie, um, who I remember being quite a name in comics you know he was sort of always about in the bronze age but i'm surprised that he didn't do actually that much he did ghost rider he did some cap did battlestar galactica at marvel um he wrote the cult kamiko comic next man if you remember that one um oh yeah uh, yeah that was a good one and um but did a lot for creepy eerie vampirella and U- ufo magazine the warren magazines um and it's 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 a very strange haunting story about um a native american warrior whose wife is pregnant and she's dying of smallpox or it's intimated smallpox being the disease that the um the people who you know invaded north america gave in blanket you know there's this theory that they they gave them purposely blankets had smallpox in them didn't they um but it's drawn in a snowstorm so you've got the 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 bleakness of the story compared to the mountain range and the snow surrounded them and there's a, a a medicine woman who's in treating his wife, and she says you've got to go out and kill Miss. I'll get this wrong, Miss Quatch Miss, which is um, the buffalo, a big white buffalo that lives nearby. And he goes out to hunt this buffalo, and we get some we get some time jumps, we get some flashbacks, and he finds the buffalo who he shoots with an arrow, but then discovers the buffalo is pregnant as well, um, and he realizes at that point that his wife and child have died. Um, and also we get an extreme time jump to him walking back to the, the village and it's contemporary with the time it was made and the village is actually a part actually. of a, one of these towns that was used to, to test nuclear weapons in, you know, you had in the deserts of America. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking hell, it's so haunting and bleak and sad and, God, it's amazing. It really is. And it's done with a very limited line you know he doesn't he doesn't fill in every line on it and it's it's a hard thing to draw nothing isn't it you know it's a weird thing to say you know to have to stand in the snow which is just whiteness surrounding it. it's not i know i've talked about grell doing it before but it's a difficult thing to pull off and um it's got this sort of also this sort of overbearing mystic quality to it um but is extremely striking. Um, I don't have the original magazine. I bought it in the. I had it in the archives. So I sillily bought the very expensive Vampirella archives, and this is in volume twelve, um, which I think is about thirty, forty quid. You can find it that's, now. But uh, that's not a bad decision. Yeah, yeah, I made, <laughs> as you well know, Cliff. I've made worse ones, my friend. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, just to me, that's. If he'd have done that sort of stuff forever, I'd have loved it. You know, I don't, I don't dislike it. I love, I love Badger. I love the character. I love what he did. But it just wasn't him to me. This stuff mm-hmm. seems to be him for me, and that's he a personal he, choice. You know, he doesn't like. He hates superheroes. He yeah, doesn't it's like weird, isn't it? Yeah, he he finds him. What was it? Like, uh, superheroes are really quite absurd. I never really uh, warmed yeah. up to the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. 
it's another one worthy just to cut another worthy mention is his frankenstein run the, the issues yeah. of that he did i remember that freaking me the fuck out as a child i remember it being yeah. in i remember where did i see it as a black and white and it was chatting to simon russell weren't we on the slack about this this week and he read it in some marvel uk reprints and i think i did see them but i remember where i went to school we had kids at the school who were at an american air force base who would come to the school and um their parents would give them the comics was on the American Air Force Base. It's like a little little version of America, isn't it? And they would ha- they would have comics. And I remember getting a couple of issues of Frankenstein off one of my friends at school who was American, and it just fucking that's just weird, fucking strange. And mm-hmm. part of that is his art, but that's a little worthy mention. So yeah, that's. Well, you my showed uh, you did share with me that Frankenstein panel that you said freaked you out. That was just beautifully. Yeah. I- Beautifully drawn, and just the more you look at it, the better it gets. Yeah, um, him sort of crouched down on a ship between some boxes with, with and the, stuff. But but it's a, it's a perfect blend of language and an image. Yeah, yeah, it really. I is. love the yeah yeah very poetic kind of take. Yeah, good. So a um, bit of fan casting before we talk to you two guys about um, your project. So if you could see any, you get to choose any period in Val's career. Um, and you get to cast him on a comic, which he does quite a few issues of, which is unusual for him. Um, I'll start off with, um, it's obviously going to be Master of Kung Fu for me, um, or Richard Dragon. Um, I think with Master of Kung Fu, you had the line of Stalin, Gulesi, Zek. Um, I think he fits in there somewhere, I think. And to be, also with Definitely. his background of martial arts, I think he would have been excellent, especially in his yeah, original style, you know, with those heavy yeah. inks. Um, that that would have been my choice. What what about you, Cliff? Uh, so um, not unrelated uh, to that particular genre, I would like to see him do a limited series for Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh yeah, yeah, that would have been. Good. I think he. I would. Uh, I'd like. He's done to some see samurai him. stuff, hasn't he? So yeah. Yeah, I would like to see that. Uh, definitely think it's in his wheelhouse, especially you know the sword and sorcery fantasy sort of translated over to Lone Wolf and Cub's sword play. I think he would be excellent at uh, depicting kind of the the samurai sword swordsmanship scenes and just I think his whole style. I'd like to see it in black and white. Yeah, I would like to give him as much time and as money as much <laughs> money as he wanted, uh, so that he could sort of just just take as long as he wanted over it i think it yeah. would be uh, you know if it was like as uh even if it was just like a single series or you know six six page adaptation or even a you know a limited series i i really think he'd be able to bring black and white um, and a nice hardback i mean that'd have the crossover yes. manga appear wouldn't it as well that's the thing uh, yeah exactly um you know i think uh yeah he would be he'd be perfect for that i would love to see it um in black and white uh, with a full color cover wraparound cover painted, uh, painted yeah. by him yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah maybe something of the style you know that he was doing with is with the master in creepy and eerie and stuff like that you know almost that deadly hands kung fu black and white magazine format would be uh, lovely. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. i mean also i think you know um if you strip the color out of like his kato or bruce lee runs um i think they would have actually have worked better in black right. and white had yeah. uh, you know yeah so uh but yeah definitely give him sort of and if I had the money, give him free reign to produce something like that. I think he, you know, just a, a, enough that he would, uh, you know, he could spend some time on it. Yeah, cool. What about you, Ian? 
Um, when I was looking at these Conan books, there was two that, I, well, I kept on, the whole way through, I kept on thinking he would be great in 2008 AD characters. Yeah. Yeah. I just kept on thought. But I, when I was looking at the Conan pictures, he kind of draws them a little bit squat and a little bit kind of disproportionate with their anatomy. And I just thought some of the faces as well, I thought he'd draw a really good Wolverine or an old okay. man Logan kind of thing like that. Um so that was one of them that I thought. And then there was there's a couple of panels where he was showing this sort of like nightmare scene where he was drawing all these twisted and distorted faces just using line and stuff. And also I was looking at like obviously he draws um all these beautiful women as well. And I was thinking like yeah. maybe uh, a Judge Anderson script or something like that. He could really go with that or and do some amazing stuff with that as well. So he That'd does draw a great I... a great woman, doesn't he? Uh, uh, maybe yeah. it's just the period he's drawing them. Some of those hippie women he was drawing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And I just thought she'd be a great character for him to have a go at, and because um, he can draw all these sort of like crazy creature designs and yeah. like this sort of nightmare sequence I saw him do as well. I thought he, I think he'd have a lot of fun with that, especially yeah. if he sort of said that the superheroes aren't his thing. Yeah, really, in a way, a lot of the books that he's on are the sort of things I would have. He's a perfect fit for Conan, isn't he? Yeah. So I was thinking Slade Solomon Kane or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or let's, I mean, let's hear it back for the big man. Let's, you know, bit of Slane. Yeah. Even he would have been know. great for him as well. Yeah. Um, but anything like that, anything fantasy related or a little bit different. But I agree with you. He, he he's also got that action, that ability to draw action super so well. Yeah. So and. Like I've said already, I think he could just turn his hand to anything. If you might not, you might get a different style than what you wanted because you. I don't know if you ever knew what style he was going to draw or something. He might not have really until he was drawing it. But um, anything fantasy or action based, and he would have done a great job. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I urge anyone who's got an interest in him to grab some of his art because it's so affordable. Even just buying it from the states and paying for the shipping, it's incredibly affordable. You know, it's, I almost feel bad about snapping up all these pages, you know. But, yeah, definitely. And um, thanks, guys. That's been great. I, I love when we find one subject and we can just sort of, you know, cover ourselves in it and, you know, dive into it for a couple of weeks. And that's what I've been doing with this stuff. And um, the interviews on YouTube aren't brilliant. You know, there's a couple of them. Are, you know, there's some technical problems and there's a couple of bellends asking questions of him, you know. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there now that he sort of discovered podcasts. So that's the, the phrase he used now, that discovered podcasts he can get on and stuff. Um, yeah, but really good. I wouldn't want to upset him. He looks like he'd give you a, like, quite a nasty <laughs> look, you know. But, or, uh, yeah. or even physically be quite intimidating too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punch you in the throat or something, yeah. There is one that is just a body language expert's, like, feast, where this lady's <laughs> asking him questions. He's got his arms cross and he's just looking at her and i'm like this is the best thing ever you know um <laughs> but good thanks guys i really appreciate that right so we've gone over as i knew we would um you two haven't killed each other yet which i'm quite impressed with thank you very much for That's being later, restrained. Later. yeah um <laughs> so let's the talk... damage has already been done on the whatsapp group to be honest so. <laughs> yeah it's a bit in it yeah yeah um i didn't know where it was going at one point it's uh yeah so let's talk about um guest projects so um ian you're working um you, you what can you say about your current project um i'm working on two books at the moment right i've nearly 
finish Kia Wordsmith. I'm, did I'm did I get you that uh, pinup? Did did that arrive? Yes, you did. Thank you, Cliff. I've got some, <laughs> I got some excellent pinup art of Cliff. Oh, right, I didn't know this. Most recently, Dan Butcher as well. Oh, He's you sent that through as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah good stuff. Killer stuff. Yeah. A Grant Richards one in the on the post, and oh, Dave wow. the writers commissioned Roger Langridge to. He, he got one done while we were at Portsmouth, so because oh, he was a couple of tables down from you, wasn't he, Roger Language? Yeah, he yeah. was, and we're gonna have so we're gonna have some great stretch goals, and um, even my daughter's had a go as well. So oh, nice! We did, I yeah, saw that. She's really talented. Isn't she just? She, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She could she could be one to watch in the future. So she's no, no, discourage her because we don't need any more competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that one, hopefully, that's going to be. I, I'm trying to get Dave to put it up on Kickstarter in September because it's near enough done now. Of the cover's all done now, and it's just colouring four or five more pages. But that's been put a little bit on ice because of the other book that I've been working on with Pat, which I talked about on the ACP recently. But that's been a lot of fun. Just the character designs on their own are just so much fun to do. Yeah. I just I need to take a leaf out of Val's book to be honest because. Where he's figured out how to take everything away, I like I've already said, I just keep on putting more and more in. And... <laughs> I, I, I think we're allowed to say no. that you, you've shared a couple of pages with us recently, man. They're yeah. fucking amazing. That's that's yeah, what we you. want from you, Ian. Thank you. Is more and more. I want you drained until you're dead. I want everything. <laughs> just that beautiful artwork. Just you keep shoving in our faces. And just... I just don't have any answers for you, Cliff, because you've always <laughs> so nice and so horrible at the same All at once, time. Isn't like, it? Yeah. It's like a massive compliment and wishing you dead at the same time. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just you know, don't die until you've produced some more of that fantastic stuff. <laughs> And then you can die. The uh, I'd say Hellbreaker. No, no, not even then. Hellbreaker no. is great because I, I was having a chat with Pat the other day, and he just threw in. By the way, he said uh, Ian's killing it. I said, "Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, high praise from yeah, the Godfather. Yeah, yeah very good. That's true. It's true. Uh, it's... You've shown the pages, and they're fantastic. They really yeah. are. It's definitely going to be a some shelf porn for me when that finally comes out. Yeah, oh, I'm forward to that, well, man. this I just feel like this is. This is, you know, we talked about um, him not knowing when the moment was going. Like, I feel yeah. like this is something, this is like, in terms of art, this is the biggest thing that's happened to me. That's good, man. Honestly, uh, honestly, you're going to go huge at some point. Yeah. Ian, oh, yeah. yeah. That so the only thing I always um, say to you is I wish there was still a vertigo because you'd be doing all the covers right yeah. now. You know? Yeah. 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 I would have, I would have loved to have worked for them, but I'm honestly, Pat, like, Pat, Pat's pretty good. So, yeah. you know made up really and i think now. the conversation I'm... is possibly kickstart it is that the idea yeah i'd love to kickstart it um yeah. just because it's it's something that's done done so well done so well for us with kia you know you, you can see it growing and building and it'll, it'll be also nice to give that opportunity to sell off the original art yeah um, yeah or some pieces because i'm doing it differently to the way i do kia kia is all done so I just get an A3, A3 piece of paper and I draw the whole page on that. And I know that I can, I know Dave will never ask for any adjustments or anything like that. With um, right. Hellbreaker, I'm drawing each panel on a separate piece of paper and then sort of okay. piecing it together. It's something I learned from Dan Butcher, to be honest. Yeah, and, he does that, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he and I that. thought yeah. where I might need to be a bit more adaptable if Pat says this panel needs to come out. I'm doing them on separate pieces of paper it's no problem i can move it out and, and it really helps it's meant that 
you know, there's never any big problems trying to sort out a piece of artwork. So it's working well at the moment. Good stuff, man. Great stuff. And um, where can people find you on social medias and stuff like that? You can find me on Instagram and I've also got a patron. Um, Yeah, I'm a member of it. It's very good. Thank you. There's a lot going on there. I've got a couple of full... um, All the uh, pencils to Keywords Myth issue three are on there. Right. There's a couple of unpublished comics as well. Yeah. There's a full comic, yeah. And I'm I'm putting up um, pages from an unpublished story called Hidden Track at the moment that's going up at... So, yeah, yeah which you put as a little poll, didn't you? And then everyone voted on what yeah. they wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. That's really good. good. Yeah, they're the two places, really. Cool, good. Um, moving over to someone who I, I both complimented and then um, encouraged to f- shut up and get on with drawing when we were recently at Heroes. Um, <laughs> you were actually hitting me in the head at points with uh, the, the comic comp program, which I, I, both Did I really appreci- Did I do that? appreciated and um, found a little kinky, but uh, also very demeaning. See, the whole and weekend was just us mucking about for the whole weekend. It really was. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, and every so often around, you, you go, oh, I'm finished that. Then we muck around. I went, you, you know, you've still got two other commissions. Oh, shit. Forgot about them. And then you go back to drawing again. Yeah. The best parts were for me where I would, um, you know, you'd be standing there and talking to the 11 o'clock comics guys and I would show you a picture and be like, Tony, what do you think? And you would just sort of nod <laughs> and just, you know, maybe curl your lip a little bit. <laughs> that would be it. That would be all I would get. That's yeah, all right. That's what you said at one point. Yeah, it's all right. No, <laughs> I did not. You that. did. <laughs> you shithead. You that did. It burned into my head. Cliff, did you do that Red Sonia at that one? Yeah. I did, yeah. That one was amazing. Mm. Oh. They were all really they were all amazing, but that one really stood out. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, that one uh, was one for uh, Vince B, who is a Red Sonia fan, um, on the eleven o'clock comics podcast and i think he did quite like it yeah he did uh, i didn't yeah, put as much like work into the rest of them i've got a pic- i've got a picture of you kissing his head whilst giving it to him oh yes yeah, yeah that was I nice yeah. yeah yeah it was a ten- tender moment at one yeah. one point vince i was chatting to him he looked over it and he went he's a big lump isn't he so yeah he's yeah. <laughs> um in the nicest possible way but yeah that was quite an experience yes. man um yes. what, what so you you were sort of kind of discovered i'm going to call it at that convention and then people swarmed around you because you were offering far too cheap commissions, which we've talked you out of now. And uh, sex as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, the people, yeah, they came for the, the commissions and got the upsell of uh, refusing the sex. Um, yeah. Uh, how do I follow? Uh, how do I follow Ian Ashcroft, uh, one of the most prodigious men in comics? Um, with his paid Patreon and his um, Kickstarters and his working for Pat Mills and here's me. Uh, the only thing that is even remotely close to coming out very soon is uh, cover to uh, yeah. uh, UI, the um, the awesome comics anthology. Uh, I got the full uh, version of that today sent through to me. Number two. Yeah. Number two. Looking good. Looking good. Uh, I, I just got a throwaway compliment from Pat Mills. I, I don't get to work with a great man. I because uh, simply I'm not. <laughs> yes, do, you, do you know what? I sent that to Pat to get a Paul quote, expecting him to say, "Oh, it looks really nice." You know, well done, guys, for raising some money for charity. Yeah. You know, Pat read it and examined it, and then wrote us like a page back. 
I know he came back with like two hundred words of, of yeah, compliments. How lovely was that? Yeah, oh, yeah, that was that was great. Clearly, he was he was um, he didn't have much on that day, but uh, you know. <laughs> and we got some lovely compliments from uh, John Wagner, and we got another Paul oh, quote yeah. from um, John Freeman. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you all seem to like it, and it's for a fantastic cause as yeah. well. So um, it's for cancer mining. research. Yeah. yeah, cancer research. That's it. Uh, no, wait, is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was. Okay, I'm sorry. I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we yeah. changed no, it from the first it, one. It was refuge in the first one, cancer research it. second yeah. one. Yeah, and then the one we did was mind. But yeah, yeah. Got so it. that's right. Hidden lives was mind. So yeah. yeah, I forget. Um, there's so many good good works going to. Good and you're in hidden again. lives. There's another one. Look, don't I do yourself in, down. I was in. Actually, had to sign a couple of pages. Yeah, sign a couple of editions. Yeah. Um, which is uh, really excellent. Uh, just a, what a great piece of work that was Tony just that's very kind of you thank you your pinup was ex- exceptional it yeah. could only have been better if there was an Ian Ashcroft uh, yeah strip we're, not, we're not that but rich we can't afford the page busy. rates anymore he's too busy yeah. yeah I know I know he won't talk to us I guarantee you within <laughs> six months we won't even be able to get him you know, he won't talk to me. You just send me angry emoji faces. <laughs> well, I did worry because I started this WhatsApp group and I realised I had both your phone numbers, but you didn't have each other's phone numbers. And, I, and when I started it, I thought, "Oh no, what's happened? What have I done?" Uh, I, I mean, but okay, Ian. To, to be fair, I uh, with every angry emoji I send you, and I do label all your stuff on the Awesome Comics Pod Slack with a so either angry emoji or a kissy face emoji, sort of a, a, a dead-eyed kissy face emoji. So I want you to have the full range of experience of not only my absolute loathing of you, but also the fact that I love you and, and deeply respect you as an incredibly yeah. talented individual. Yeah, uh, it's very to rant occasionally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the only other thing that I can mention that I'm actually getting involved with, if I may do of course. myself um there's our local newspaper here uh, oh, yeah. where i live in maryland um maryland. i'll be doing a, a monthly column for them called uh the long box um which will appear in their 72 hours arts and culture magazine wow. i think it's the only comics column in maryland which is uh or maryland is it near maryland say, okay yeah it is near maryland it's right in the middle of maryland um so <laughs> that was I'll, my favorite one of my favorite jokes the weekend of which there were many was everyone who came to the table i said cliff sounds english but in fact he's from maryland and everyone looked at me like i was an idiot yeah because the actual pronunciation is, is maryland no. but um anyway no <laughs> no no it's not <laughs> so uh I'll be doing uh, that long box column, which will be available on the Frederick News Post's website oh, under cool. their 72 hours banner. Um, and is it getting a physical launched... print as well? Is it? Or... It'll be in physical print wow. every month. Yeah. Give me, a, um, give me a copy, man. I'd like to have that. Oh well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, and I'll be uh, putting. Uh, I've, I've uh, created a some stack just so in between uh copies of the column i can do some other stuff so oh, brill. Uh, oh, great news. i was originally a journalist before i came yeah into you're a very good journalist man i've comments. seen you you've proofread some stuff for me and yeah thank you, you your yeah, writing yeah, is really good man i really enjoy reading your writing yeah. really appreciate that thank you uh yeah that's good of you to say so i'll be doing yeah just i've managed to get uh, press passes for the maryland small press expo which is coming up in september wow and the baltimore comic con and that was really why i wanted to do it so i could go to free <laughs> comic conventions as a member of the press um i'll be covering both of those things doing interviews from that interviewing local and regional creators putting up um audio video if i can and writing i've already started writing a few little things there that's at uh 
thelongbox.substack.com. Brilliant. I'm going to sign up for that. Is that active now? It is active um, now. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Thank so, you. Among among the first, uh, uh, I'm thinking of sort of maybe producing sort of some t-shirts for some of the first subscribers. So oh, it'd be nice so to exciting. Be yeah. Bringing them around. We bought yeah, we bought t-shirts, didn't we? Heroes. We each got t-shirts, didn't we? We it's did. Nice. Yeah. Indie Island. We were we were on Indie Island. <laughs> just special, next to uh, like, just next to Jim people. Rugg, just across the road from him. Jim Jim Rugg, Jim of Food, um, Alexis Zirrett. Alexis uh, Zirrett made me laugh because he just came over for a laugh. <laughs> random random comic random advice. visits to tell he goes did go up there know, free sandwiches. All right, did thanks, you know Alexis. there's a green a green room? <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just came over and laughed. He came over like would just like oh. hit me on the shoulder and go ah like this. Ah, it was lovely. What yeah. a lovely guy. Man, <laughs> such and good work as well. I really yeah. you know, picked up a few of his stuff and it's just great. And good Jim stuff, the food was a was a lovely man. Oh, you loved him, didn't you? Yeah, you had a great conversation. Hasn't followed with him. me on great beard. Hasn't followed me on social media. Uh. Disappointed. But, yeah. Does he know that you're t-shirts. you're the renegade of TikTok or whatever it is you are now? I don't think he knows. I don't think he understands. Yeah, they don't get it, do they? Knows or understands uh, the greatness of you know. I, I know how you feel now, Tony, with the, uh, how dismissive people were of your seminal work, <laughs> which I cannot cannot be named <laughs> or have it or have it. Which one are we talking about now? I'm not sure. <laughs> the uh, A A B L, uh, the initials uh, that you penned at Heroes. Um, sitting around uh has has love love in the title let's not name that this is a history of comics podcast they don't need to know about my this is what happened ian we're all sitting around part part of the history of comics yeah that's true we're all sitting around in we're an airbnb which is me him and falpy which you can imagine was just a fucking mess you know and uh they're going, oh, uh, Tony, we're going to draw. You might want to go off and get us something to eat or something, you know. <laughs> or perhaps you could strip the beds and wash them, you know, this sort of thing. And I'm saying, no, fuck you, I'm drawing something. So I drew something as well, didn't I? We all sat there. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been to, it was it was 9.30, so time for our Betty buys at that point, you know. <laughs> yeah. we, weren't, we weren't drunk that night and throwing comics off the balcony because we thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they were bad comics. They were shit comics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> people giving to us yeah, yeah and where can you. and where can uh, people find you on social media keith uh you can uh you can find <laughs> keith Campbell, uh, you can find me uh on, on all uh tiktok instagram and twitter in, in my various guises uh at, uh, at cg cumber uh and that's my user hat. i was going to put a dot com on the end there but i'm old and just uh, clearly yeah. that's wrong and so, sign up yeah. for the was it the lombox longbox.substack.com yeah i should be signing up for that as soon as we finish this but thanks guys very much appreciate it you can find me at uh, neveronanything.com um look out for um dirty basement is now available uh, thank you for buying a copy in um and that's um, great yeah i'm in it i'm in that you are you were actually you're actually in it as a person we drew you in it yeah you're <laughs> yes. in the cock, cockbiter story but uh bastards <laughs> and if you want a copy of hidden lives which um keith is also in he does a pin-up for us in that you can go to neveronanything.bigcartel.com and there's copies of that and other comics that i've made there thank you guys and we should continue chatting but i shall say goodbye to the listeners now cheers guys thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.